Hi, I'm Roxanne Serta, and I'm the Acquisitions Editor for CNT Publishing. I've been acquiring books for nearly 20 years, and the past seven of those have been here at CNT. Through my job, I get the privilege of meeting countless designers, authors, and industry professionals who all do amazing things with their creativity. I'll be bringing some of those quilting and stitching personalities to this podcast to share their amazing stories and insider information. Download the latest episodes and get to know great crafters, learn the backstories behind events and people, and hear funny stories from people living the crafty life. everyone and thanks for listening. This is Roxanne Serta, Senior Editor for CNT Publishing. Today I'll be talking with Joyce Becker, a prize-winning quilter. Joyce focuses her art, writing, teaching, and lecturing on creating beautiful landscape quilts. Her work has been displayed internationally in contests and invitational exhibits and has appeared in books, magazines, and on TV. Joyce has enjoyed teaching across the U.S., online, and on cruises with Quilt Camp at Sea. She's a resident of Kent, Washington, and enjoys spending time with her husband, Donald, and their children and grandchildren. And she also enjoys hanging out with her longtime quilting friend of the Thursday group. So I'm so glad we could set up time to talk. Me too. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's been too long. So I'm glad we were able to, to put this together. Sure. Well, and so, you know, the first thing I have to ask is, so what's the Thursday group? Oh, I know it. You know, it's a little satellite group off of the guild uh, I've belonged to since 1985 or so. And it's just a group of ladies that um, like each other first. (laughs) That's so important. And uh, we just get together every other week, depending on who's in town at each other's homes. Uh, and it was horrible during the pandemic to not be able to visit with my friends because, you know, it's almost like therapy because we can just go and talk about anything. And, you know, we get hugs and, and advice. And and then there's the artistic side. There's some very talented members in the group. And then there's some newer members. and. And sometimes you need advice about something. And so everybody opens their mouth right away. There's no like, well, I shouldn't tell her this. <laughs> it's it's very honest. And uh, in fact, a few weeks ago, one of our friends had gotten inherent, inheritance. And um, she took us all to high tea in Seattle. And we didn't know where we were going. A limo came, picked us up. It was amazing. We had the best time. (laughs) So those are the kind of friendships you cherish. Absolutely. Yes. I think everybody should have a friend group that acts as a therapist for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Um, Well, and so one thing that I was wondering about, and this is something that I've ended up talking with most of the people on the podcast about is, Mm -hmm. you know, did you grow up in a home where you were kind of surrounded um, by arts and crafts? Well, that's kind of iffy. Um, (laughs) My brother is a wonderful artist. He's a, a watercolor artist. And my parents never really encouraged him to tell you the truth. And it's sad because he's very talented. And uh, 
he's helped me along the way with, you know, you know I'll send him a picture of a design and he'll say, oh, no, you got that wrong. <laughs> he's very open about it. And then my older sister uh, took home economics and made a lot of her clothes and she taught me how to sew. That's where my sewing background comes from. I never took classes or anything like that. But after that, I started, uh, you know, making my own clothes, which was nice because I didn't have a lot of money and I loved fabric. So I'd go shopping for fabric and I had a couple of patterns I liked and I'd whip out a new dress. <laughs> so um, other than that, not really. Well, and that was back when um, it was cheaper to make clothes than it was to buy them, which I don't believe is quite the case right now. <laughs> oh, and one other thing. I think they did really encourage me in high school um, because I was an editor on my high school newspaper and entered some contests and won and that sort of thing and, and wrote for the newspaper. So they were very um, supportive. <laughs> there you go. So in that respect, yes, because my mother worked at the high school, and so she liked that recognition. <laughs> That's true. Absolutely. Um, well, and so you knew how to sew, mm -hmm. and you knew how to quilt um, before yes. you started making art quilts. But from all accounts, I think you jumped into landscape quilts really soon after you started making quilts in general. Um, so why was it you jumped into landscape quilts so early? Well, in 1985, we moved to the Seattle area. I'm in a suburb about 20 miles south. And, you know, when you lived in California before, it was okay. But Washington is so gorgeous. I mean, and secondary to that, I joined the Guild which I knew nothing about quilt guilds and one met like two blocks from my house. So, and I started taking workshops and I took from um, Joe Diggs and Joan Wolfram and did a bunch of uh, watercolor quilts, trying to figure out how I wanted to do landscape quilts because I loved the beauty and I, it just gave me so much joy. So, that's how I started. And then I quickly realized I really don't like to needle turn or piece quilts. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when I came up with my own methodology of doing raw edge applique. And not many people were doing it at the time, as if you remember. Um, and I don't know where it came from. It's just like trial and error. Let's see if this works. And at first I would I had one of those projectors and I ha had a design and I project projected it on the garage door inside and sketched it out when I started. Uh, and it just went from there. And then I realized I don't need to pro project it. I can just come up with my own theory to create it without that. Uh, so you know, that's how I started. And it just kept evolving. Uh, and I'm such a risk taker. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try anything, you know, over the years. Well, and so how did you even know what landscape quilts were? Because I think I was in, 
I honestly, I was in the quilt world for a, a couple of years before I even encountered landscape quilts. So like, where did you first see them or where did you decide that that's your direction? Well, I took that uh, Joe Diggs workshop, which is the needle turn. Her work was stunning and realistic. And then the strip piecing with Joan Wolfram. And that's, that's where the ideas came from. And then the watercolor, I could kind of do landscapes, but not the way I wanted. I wanted to get the realism. And the only way I could do that was just cutting the raw edge fabric um, and doing it with my method. I mean, that's where it came from, from my head, I guess. Um, <laughs> try. I'm a problem solver. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that's one thing that I think is really intriguing about what you do in that when, when you and I first started working on your most recent book, and that's the one that, um, that's the only one I think I've worked with you on. I think your others were done before I started here. Yes. Um, or were underway maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you and I started talking and we got down, you were showing me like, Oh, this is what I want for my outline because this is how I work. It was like, that's what it is. Like you use some really interesting stuff in your quilts to get I the right look. Um, yeah. So what all do you use? Oh, well, uh, I use tool and organza a lot to change the value of fabrics. It's so easy to do. And the method is in my book. It's simple. I use dryer lint. I use found objects. Um, uh, anything that'll work to impart what I want it to look like. Um, thread. Thread is my happy place uh, to add texture and dimension and more than one level. I mean, it kind of pulls you in. I use coloring mediums a lot. Uh, like I don't know if you can see the quilt behind me and the audience can't see it, but <laughs> the water was way too busy. It's an ocean and it has some waves in it, but it had too many waves that were uh, repeats and it didn't look natural. So I went in and colored some of them with fabric markers and wax pastels and um, a few of them with Soconeco inks and textile paints, uh, just to change that. Or, you know, I, I can create like um, kind of a lace with thread that I use for waves uh, to make them look more realistic. I just kind of put on my thinking cap and say, you know, what would work to do this? And sometimes it turns out like, I mean, horrible. <laughs> and, and trust me, there's been a lot of those. Um, but then I'll try something else. I don't give up. I guess uh, very tenacious in that respect. I'll just keep trying uh, until I find what works. And uh, so some people don't have that patience. See, I don't have the patience to piece quilts or turn the, and do a needle turn. But I have the patience to try other things, uh, which for me is play. You know, I go out of my studio and it's just playtime. 
Well, and I think that's a little interesting because, and you know, I, I hear from a lot of people, readers, other quilters, other crafters, authors, and a lot of people maybe don't feel they're very creative. Um, and you seem to have really tapped into your own creativity through mm -hmm. problem solving, which um, yes. to me seems like kind of an unusual route. Like, why do you think that's kind of what worked for you? Well, it is about problem solving. The first thing is to find the correct fabrics, you know, and sometimes what I think will work doesn't. Okay, so I can either modify it or find another fabric. Uh, or maybe the design that I've created isn't successful. So I have to think about what isn't working, you know, and why. I mean, I have no art background at all, Roxanne. I mean, I took art history in college. But <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and I loved every minute of it. But, but um, to go forward in my career, I, and my career is not based on fame or fortune, any of those things. It's about creating quilts that give me joy and maybe gives other people joy. That's all it's ever been about. And I mean, it turned into such a, <laughs> a wonderful thing for my life that I never expected. Uh, I just, and you know, and I love to write. Mm -hmm. So having that combination, you know, I started out by writing quilting magazines and I did about 20 of those. And then I started um, making some landscapes and that's how it grew and grew. Uh, it was just, it was never planned that it evolved. <laughs> so, yeah, I, creativity to some people is really different than what creativity is to me, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people will look at a poem and, and say, oh, I want to create something that says what this poem is talking about. Well, that doesn't do it for me. I look at, first of all, the fabrics tell me what they want to do. Mm -hmm. and, and <laughs> I know that's odd. Um, and then I, something will flicker in my mind. And it'll say, hmm, have you ever thought of this? And then it's just like a challenge to me. <laughs> I like challenges. So, yeah. um, that's what happens. Would yeah, I ask yeah. a question? <laughs> you, you actually did really, really well. Uh, because I think what I was trying to like kind of talk about a little bit is that, you know, like a lot of the assumption that I, I, that I, that I feel is that a lot of people think that creativity is either spontaneous or it's innate. Like you are creative or you're not, or you do some sort of exercises or whatever, and then suddenly you're creative. But really, I think it's like trying to reach a goal and figuring out different ways to get there. Mm -hmm. In the end, you're being creative. You know, you yeah. are you are doing it. You've got it. You just maybe don't realize it. And do you feel like some of your students kind of get there in the end? Yes, I do. Uh, you know, I. I I've said this in the book, I think, that when I was teaching at International Club Festival one year, um, 
and this gal came in and she she said, I don't know why I signed up for this class. I've never even made a quilt. I'll, I'll never be able to do it. And she made the best design in the whole class. So it, it it's also about giving yourself permission to be successful. Uh, and, you know, a lot of my students have been elated that once they figure out, you know, the basics of how to design a quilt, how perspective and value and um, those kind of things really matter, uh, how you can build it, they've just gone forward and done magnificent designs, you know. Yeah. I'm so proud of them. Well, and I wonder if it's a little bit like, um, this is kind of a weird analogy, but if you grew up skiing, it's really mm -hmm. hard to learn how to snowboard and vice versa because yeah. you're using the same muscles, but in a totally different way. Oh, yeah. And so I think people who are used to piecing, maybe trying to do something landscape that's much more free form, it could be kind of hard to like redo that creative muscle memory. Yeah, you're right. And I have had those students there. They feel like, oh, if they haven't, you know, needle turned the edges, something is wrong. And and uh, so I say, I give you permission to try this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, yeah. And then they try it. And then it's up to them whether they like it or not. Um, it's just well, a different method. Yeah. It is. And you know, what's really interesting is I, I talk to a lot of different people on this podcast who do all kinds of different things. They, most are, many are quilters, not all of them. And, but people do a lot of different things, not just art quilts, not just landscape, you know, lots mm -hmm. and lots of different things. And permission is something that almost always comes up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of important that like, you know, really give yourself permission for something not to turn out the way you wanted it to. Right. It, it, it truly is. And, and that's what I told myself all along. <laughs> well, or to make something or use a supply that you hadn't thought of, like dryer lint doesn't belong on a quilt. Well, that's not a rule. You could put anything you want on a quilt. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I've got some great examples right here. of Something that didn't turn out the way I wanted it. But I'm going to make it something different because I like it. I just didn't think it through all the way. <laughs> uh, you know, and I've tried other methods. Um, I won't say what it is or who it's by, but um, that I thought would be effective, but I didn't like it at all. It wasn't for me. I tried it. I gave it a really good shot. And then I said, nope. So I just follow my heart. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. And um not to totally change the subject. Um, I'm just going to take it in a little bit of a different direction, but mm -hmm. I did, I have noticed over time that all of your bios, whether they're in a book or online or anything, uh, always mention that you were, um, you know, a founding member of the association of the Pacific Northwest quilters, which is yeah. a quilt guild. Um, and I know that's something that you're really proud of. Mm -hmm. So what is it? What has that guild meant to you and why is it something that makes you so proud? Well, it was actually a Pacific Northwest Association oh, okay. with quilters from Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Alaska, the Yukon. And 
the purpose was to present a highly jury and judge show in the Pacific Northwest because we have such a wealth of artists here. And so in order to do that, we, you know, had to get memberships and get the money. And um, I'm trying to remember how many shows we had. Um, probably around somewhere between six and eight. I, I could be wrong on that. Uh, highly successful shows. I mean, quilts that just stopped my heart. And that was the reason. I mean, because other regions have you know, big quilt shows. And that was the purpose. And so people could come and see the show. Eventually what happened was, uh, you know, it takes a great volunteer basis to put on a show that magnitude. Like we had it at the Seattle Center. Then we changed to the Tacoma Convention Center. Big money, you know. And we couldn't get enough volunteers. so. Um, we board members and committee members had to do the whole schmear and uh, you get to the point where your body says, well, you're working full time on it. Let's put it that way. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, so we had to eventually let it go. But, um, you know, that's a huge memory for me. And it was wonderful for all the quilters uh, to come and see. We had so many from out of state and, um, just big names, um, great best of shows, you know, the whole 10 yards. And so that was and still is near and dear to my heart. People who are listening may not know, um, but, you know, in the early days of the pandemic, and one thing I should note is from the point at which I start talking with an author to the point at which their book comes out, it can be two years and sometimes longer. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's a little shorter. But we need time to come up with the idea, really craft the vision, decide what's going to be in the book. Right. And the author has to have time to write the book and make the quilts and the projects. And then we have to have time to edit the book, design it, all that other stuff, and, you know, print it and get it into a warehouse. So it's it's a pretty long lead time. So a lot of the authors I'm talking to now, we worked during the pandemic and often in the early days, you know, in the first months, um, which is when you and I started that project. Um, and one of the first things I told you is, well, we can't do the photography. Um, <laughs> and I think you, your answer was, well, I guess I'll give it a try. <laughs> well, I actually, my uh, stepson actually came and did the how-to photography for, for me. And Mike mm -hmm. said, and he's a very talented photographer and videographer. And what I want to applaud CNT for is that you gave his photographs of, you know, the how-to photographs or the fabric or whatever they were, great importance in the book. And they're beautiful photos. And I think that's what makes it spectacular, along with April Mostek, who did the designing. You know, I discussed with her the moods and themes I wanted in the book. And of course, you know, nature and how beautiful it is. And she managed to combine um, beautiful images on the same page as text uh, that made the book beautiful. And I mean, the cover is stunning, but 
Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you know, all those things in combination. And then you let me have a say in how I wanted to lay out the book. And so, you know, I really appreciate that because it, it just made the book more my own. Uh, if I can, if that's a good way to say it. It is. It is. Um, I And I truly think that is maybe one of the small silver linings in the last few years is that the way everybody's work has changed um, and the fact that you and I are doing this podcast recording and this is our usual method of communication. Uh, we just click one extra button, I think says it all. Yes. Uh, and that we are now able to collaborate with our authors in a way that we haven't really been able to before. That's right. Um, and, and I really love where it's going. I think the books are a better reflection. Um, not that we weren't doing a good job before, or that we weren't, you know, really, you know, trying our best, but just the way people communicate has changed and it's just become more collaborative. Yeah, and I, I agree. This was, to me, this was my most beautiful book and the one I enjoyed doing the most, most um, just to well, have more influence on how it looked. <laughs> exactly. Well, and the other thing I will say is, so the cover of your book is really, really, really pretty. And somebody who maybe goes out says, oh, this was kind of interesting. I want to go see what her book looks like. I'm going to preface this with, you shouldn't be intimidated. <laughs> because once you walked me through how you made that quilt, I was like, oh my goodness, that is so genius. Like, I think, I think people can do that. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Um, so tell, tell me or tell the listeners why they shouldn't be hesitant to, you know, give the landscape quilts a try. Well, it, easier than you think. It involves building a design on uh, a piece of muslin that's stabilized with some lightweight interfacing. Uh, and just using beautiful fabrics and gluing it, cutting it realistically. And I show you how in the book. Uh, starch is my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and, and particular scissors, uh, Karen K. Buckley scissors. And so if you're able to starch your fabrics and cut them with good scissors, you can cut realistic shapes. Or, you know, and I, I do have a, a template of some trees in the book, but uh, most of the time I just uh, cut them. I mean, I don't draw things out all the time. So it gives you freedom to experiment and create. And then, you know, when I, I start building from the top down and I use a 505 Odif spray adhesive to glue the things that I've cut out onto the background fabrics. And this particular glue is repositionable. Mm. So if I put a tree in the wrong spot, no big deal. I just pick it up and move where I want it. Or if I don't like it, I take it off. It's all temporary until I, I go and I baste uh, with invisible thread around each shape or element. Uh, so once that's done, then I get to play with coloring mediums or uh, thread work or, you know, any of the other embellishments I like to try. And 
so it's just, you know, simple steps and simple design steps. And uh, if you're going to create a landscape, it's always going to be lighter in the distance, darker in the foreground. And then the scale of the items in your landscape quilt are going to be smaller in the distance and grow small, uh, larger as you come forward. And if you can remember those two things, you can create a, a landscape really easy. And then I give you permission to go out and buy all the fabric you want. <laughs> well, speaking of fabrics, I was actually, after, after looking at a bunch of your different quilts, um, and deciding what we were going to use and what we wanted, you know, where, when you showed me what the fabrics were that you used, it was definitely kind of an aha moment. Can you talk a little bit about your fabric shopping and, and what you look for? Well, I look for realism first to be begin with. Um, I'm very fond of using uh, Stonehenge gradation fabrics that uh, go from a light value to a dark value because I can use the sky in the lighter value and then if there's water, the darker value. Um, I use their fabrics a lot. Uh, in a couple of my quilts in the book, I showed how to create a landscape quilt using partially a, a digital panel. And I have some more ideas for those coming up <laughs> in combination with real fabrics. And it makes it, I mean, like in one of my quilts, the mountains are so realistic because it's from a digital panel. And I didn't use the whole panel. I just used the mountains. So there's tricks, you know, you don't have to come up with everything yourself. There's lots of amazing uh Fabrics that have trees printed on them, you can use that. Um, a plethora of things. And you'd be amazed at the fabrics, you know, rocks and planks and and then water and sky. They're available. Uh, unfortunately, during the pandemic, I had to do mostly uh, online shopping. It's not really unfortunate because I have a few vendors I love. and. Um, I look for fabrics that impart that realism. It's very critical. Mm -hmm. uh, I know there's designers that don't go for realism. And that's great. That's fine. That's just not my bag. <laughs> so I'm always looking for those fabrics that will do what I want. And again, you know, if the value is wrong, I can change the value with overlays of tool or organza. I can use the wrong side of the fabric if it's um if it has a wrong side, you know, mm. like batiks. Um, so I, I'm just always on the lookout. And, and after a while, your eye gets trained to what will work and won't work. Uh, at first, it's more difficult. Uh, like with some of my first quilts, they weren't as realistic as I'd like. <laughs> so. Gotcha. Do you ever kind of get to a point where you're about halfway through and you're like, nope? Exactly. Uh, I changed the background fabrics uh, in this quilt that's behind me uh, midstream. And it's okay because it was glued on. It wasn't stitched. 
I just took them off and found what worked better. And I'm like that. If I look at it and think it's not right, I'm not going to continue with it. I'll I'll change it till I have it the way I want it. And so, <laughs> I think I give, that goes back to the permission. You know, I, I give myself permission to change it, and I want everybody else to have that permission. <laughs> so. Exactly. Well, and so what? Um, this this plays into it a little bit in that um, I'm wondering what what's your starting point for a new quilt? Is it the chicken or the egg? So the fabric or the landscape you want to make? Well, it's both. <laughs> Sometimes I, you know, I, I do my best thinking in the shower. <laughs> and sometimes ideas will come to me in the shower. Oh, I want to do this. Other times I'll see some fabric and it's like it speaks to me. And so that's my starting point. Um, I have used photos and books as inspiration before, but of course I always get permission from the artist, written permission mm -hmm. um, to do that. And they've been actually some of my most successful quotes, but um, then I want to do my own thing too. So it's a variety of things to tell you the truth, uh, photos, magazines, and I never copy something exactly. Um, well, you, you look at things and then you, you actually make your own like sketch, don't you? Right. Yeah. I'll make a small sketch on a, a piece of, you know, eight and a half by 11 paper. And that's my starting point. And it's a very rough sketch, uh, just for placement mostly. And um, that's how I start with uh, designing a quilt. I kind of divide it into thirds. And then when I'm creating it on the design wall, I can look at that. And once I have, you know, the size I want up there, I can divide that uh, piece of muslin into thirds too, and that'll tell me where to place things. So yes, that, that's really how I work. Well, it has, um, has, I guess, have the landscapes in your quilt changed any over the last few years where, you know, our ability to get out and go do and see things has, has definitely, well, I think we're getting back to it, but it was really impacted for a bit. Uh, no, I was still inspired to come into my studio and make things. Um, and actually, <laughs> I thought it was a positive move because I wasn't trying to fill my days with things that didn't matter to me. I mean, somebody has to, you know, cook and grocery shop or <laughs> those things. But uh, my main purpose was to write and and create quilts. So, uh, no, I was fine. I ordered fabrics and just kept going. So, you know, I know a lot of my quilting friends got really depressed and stopped working. And I said, I'm not going to do that. So mm -hmm. I <laughs> well, I was wondering if you're, if the landscapes you were making though, were they, were they just as varied as they usually are, or did you tend to make things further away or closer to home? Or did it just not change at all? Um, if anything, I, I think they became better. 
There you go. Um, you know, my uh, there's a quilt in the book that my uh, daughter-in-law, stepdaughter-in-law, um, likes a, a mountain, Frenchman's Mountain near Las Vegas, and I always promised her a quilt. So, you know, I had to do some research of how the mountain actually looked, and I did draw that out. And, um, it was a challenge because there's a, there's a wetlands too. And so, you know, how do I articulate this and how do I get the reflection correct? And so, yeah, sometimes I have to really think about how I'm doing something, how it's going to be successful. And I run into problems like there are reeds in it and they, they weren't real big. And so, um, sewing them down was an issue. So I finally put a layer of tool over them. And that was easier because then they didn't ravel or move or, you know. So, you know, I come up with more solutions if, you know, if something's more difficult, I have to think it through. Uh, so I think that's what I did more of, actually. Well, that's kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but I know, well, and I know your teaching um, changed drastically, mm -hmm. you know, in recent years. And in part, I think it's the problem solving that we had to figure out how, how are we going to make a book when we couldn't make the books the way we usually did? You know, oh. we, we couldn't <laughs> mail stuff back and forth. You know, at the beginning, you, we didn't think we could mail things back and forth. No, no. Nobody else touched and. And then once we kind of started overcoming that technology, you actually ended up going from flying around on airplanes to be in front of people to, you know, being your own videographer to do online classes. Mm -hmm. Like how I was did. that learning curve? <laughs> oh, trust me. <laughs> there were a lot of swear words. <laughs> um. Yes, that that was a total challenge, and um, I didn't think I could do it. But again, I had to tell myself, "You can." And so it was a, a very large learning curve for me. Uh, you know, buying the equipment, the ring light, having the right uh, camera and distance, and so forth, and you know, learning how to position the camera and where and all of those things were totally new, but thank good goodness Sophia was very, uh, Sophie was very, the coordinator was very helpful. And then we formed a group of cohort authors that were doing the same thing. And they, uh, they were just amazing. We're all still friends. And it was, that part of it was the best part <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, because uh, you know, you don't get to talk to other authors. And this gave us a forum to talk to other authors and say, oh, my God, how did you do this? Or how did you do that? And um, so that was good. Yes. Uh, and then my stepson, um, Mike Simmons, again, uh, filmed me uh, showing how to uh, decorate my home with my quilts. and. Uh, a trunk show in my home. So that was real fun too. That, that was like, he was horrified that it was kind of off the cuff, but, <laughs> but I was like, no, this is what I do. Just go with it. 
Well, I think too, I mean, is I think that cultures in general are used to somebody being in front of them and just mm-hmm. saying what's of the moment. So I think off the cuff is good. Yeah. And I've done some lectures very recently since my new, I've been getting requests to come do local lectures. So that's been fun for me. Uh, I have some more coming up. So uh, still love getting out there. Just, just can't stand on my feet for eight hours and teach a class. So uh, <laughs> physically it's just, my legs don't like it. <laughs> yes. Well, and it's, it's a lot to haul around. I think it's, it's one thing to say it, but when you've helped somebody carry that luggage a couple of times, you're like, I am, would not do that. <laughs> you know, and it's so funny when I was flying around the country and hauling the suitcases and I would ask someone to pick me up that is, um, that can help me. And usually it was somebody that was, you know, elderly and couldn't lift anything. So it's like, oh, okay, here I go again. And that's why I had rotator cuff surgery. So um, it was a hard decision. Let me tell you that. Cause yes, I hear you. Well, and, but you, so you were, this is, again, this is something I ask most of the people who come on my podcast. Um, and it's mostly because most of the people have been teachers or instructors for quite mm-hmm. a long time. And when we get together at shows and things, one of the things that inevitably comes up are the on the ro- road uh, kind of stories. Oh, yes. Um, so do you have kind of a teaching or teaching related moment that falls into the I'm laughing about it later category? Oh, yes. I have several. But <laughs> um, <laughs> the one that still is in my head is uh, I was teaching in Hawaii. I won't say which island. I, I taught on several islands. So we, we go there for uh, vacation once a year for two weeks. Um, and so I would, you know, just take a trip one day to teach or to lecture or whatever. And so I was going to be staying overnight. And at that point, I would still stay in somebody's home, but just taught me not to stay in somebody's home. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So we get to the house where I'm going to stay with this nice lady and her husband. And uh, she said, oh, would you please remove your shoes? And I certainly, you know, and I keep walking and, and, I take my suitcase into the room I'm going to stay and the windows are open and the red dirt on that particular Island was everywhere. Um, on her fabrics, on the bed, everywhere. And so I didn't unpack my quilts. I usually unroll them, you know, mm-hmm. and then it was on the busiest street in town and you had to leave your window open because she had no air conditioning. And then uh, the rooster started at about 3 a.m. So I had no sleep whatsoever. <laughs> I had to go teach the next day. And so from then on, I said, you know what? I need a, a room in a you know motel or hotel or something. <laughs> That's what it taught me. <laughs> Yes, definitely. I think, I think, yeah, I don't, oh, bright 30 is not my favorite time and rooster o'clock would not be either. (laughs) And the traffic never really let up either. So it was, 
yeah, unpleasant, but <laughs> that's what you deal with. And then showing up to teach and um, your luggage doesn't make it. And, you know, you're dialing the desk at 3 a.m. saying, is my suitcase here yet? I mean, we deal with that and I've dealt with it many times. It usually shows up, but otherwise you really have to improvise. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Um, so tell um, tell us a little bit about like what you're up to now. Like what are what are new places people can find you, catch up with you, or or look for you know what you're doing. Well, they can go to my website www.joycearbecker.com. I'm really trying to uh, keep it more updated. And uh, also my blog, uh, which is on my website. And uh, I'm on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, mostly just those are, are my favorites. And I'm, I'm pursuing a couple new ideas right now that are in my head that I have to try out. But you know how it is at home. Um, I've lost a bit of weight, so I'm trying to clean out my closet. <laughs> <laughs> and so we took a load down to donate a couple days ago. And, and then we still have to, in the Pacific Northwest, it has been like a river of rain. Oh. You know, I know in other areas of the country, it's just so hot. Um, but we still have to get out and clean up our patio. And my husband's 91 years old. So, um, but he's very active. Uh, but that comes next. And then I'm going to start playing. Uh, <laughs> and I, I want to try to work on, um, do you know what stretched canvases are? I do. Yeah. yeah. I want to play with that some more and do some interesting things. Uh, some with stencils and some with that texture paste, coloring the paint and um, also using, uh, have you ever ordered fabric from Spoonflower? I have actually, yes. Well, I've found some great designs lately. There are some amazing designers on there. Ordered and I wanna play with them if the scale is correctly. And I also wanna create another series of quilts that combine both the uh, panels, the digital panels and my fabrics. So that's what's next for me. And, you know, I show my work on Facebook and, and Instagram and uh, try to get it posted on uh, my blog and website. So, and they can always email me at, jbecker3 at hotmail.com and well and you have um you have your earlier books but you also have your new book um that just came out um and you have two classes on creative spark right so anybody anywhere in i guess the world really can take those correct yes they can they can and i don't know if i can talk about this but i did write a novel that's available on amazon Oh, yay. Excellent. It's called A Quilter's Journey. It's available in Kindle Unlimited and a paperback. Oh, nice. Good job on that. I know you were looking to do that for quite a while. 
Yeah, I just rewrote it about 10 times before. <laughs> that's <laughs> all. <laughs> I think that's, I honestly, I think that's about typical though. Um, you know, the rewriting. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there were chunks that were horrible that just didn't even need to be in there. And But, you know, this was joyful for me to do. And it has, it's about a landscape quilter that is a lot of me, but some of it isn't about me. Um, so it was fun. Another challenge. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, all right. And so what we'll thank you for coming um, and talking to me. And what we'll do is we'll put links to all of that in the podcast description. Oh, good. Uh, so anybody who's listening, they'll be able to go find your website, find your book. Um, find your um, novel and all of that good stuff. Okay. Oh, what a pleasure this has been and fun. So good to talk to you in person. <laughs> you too. Thank you. All right. This is Roxy Serta. Thanks for listening to Behind the Scenes. Want to know more about our outstanding group of authors and their books? Visit us online at CT Publishing on Instagram, Twitter, our CNT Publishing channel on YouTube, or on our website at ctpub.com. <laughs>